my name is Jonathan Trantham, and I'm the founder and CEO of Reflect. Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a difficult thing to do to come from a background of very closed communication in, in our world to jump off and do therapy. So I want to know what your, your journey in therapy has been. It's a great question. I love the, the heavy stuff. So let's go right into it. I didn't really have a lot of exposure to therapy as a kid. And, you know, I grew up with very traditional Vietnamese parents um, who came over in 1975 during the war. And so we never talked about feelings. We never talked about even our history as a family. So um, I didn't really grow up with a lot of like touchy feely topics. And it was really just go to school, work hard, you know, um, the world's tough, you got to fight. That was sort of the lessons I learned growing up. And I was really good at doing that. I was a good student. I worked really hard in high school. Um, always was about pushing myself forward and kind of like continuing to like, if I ever had difficulty, I would just swallow it and keep pushing. If I ever felt frustration, I would just swallow it and keep pushing. And it really, you know, I went to Northwestern, a great school. I worked in consulting, in management consulting, got a really hard job to get. Um, and was working 100 hours and never complained and kind of kept pushing forward. And it really was <clears throat> kind of like in like mid 2010s, like 2015 or so, where um, I was working for a very demanding startup, woke up one day and realized I had been stressed and been stressed for a very long time. You know, <laughs> thank you, Tiger Mom. Um, and uh, I didn't really know what to do. Um, I talked to some friends. And then finally was like, you know, I just need to, I think I need to talk to somebody about this. And just getting to that journey where I was accepting and willing to talk to someone inside myself was actually a really, really hard thing to do because, um, you know, I, I kind of grew up always about, you know, like internalizing the feelings as opposed to externalizing them. And I think in many ways, you know, that was the best coping mechanism that my parents had to go through all the horrible stuff that they went through. But um, you know, started to to um, talk to friends who really encouraged me to think about therapy. And it really was one actually my roommate um, when I was living in San Francisco, who was like, have you ever thought about seeing a therapist? And immediately I was like, no way, never. You know, that's I'm not crazy. That's not for me. You know, and in my head, the person that needed therapy was such a very sick, yeah. really, really like you need to be at the end of your rope to be looking for therapy and to ask to, to, to get help. But she was someone I respected. She was also a startup founder. Um, and I was like, well, if she can see a therapist, you know, maybe it's something that could be beneficial to me. And so I started looking for a therapist and I had a, actually a really frustrating experience. I'd almost argue the experience, I thought it would be hard to realize I needed therapy, but it was actually really hard to even find a therapist. And that was surprising to me. I was like, you know, I thought I did the hard stuff by saying I need a therapist. And, um, but what I didn't realize is actually how hard it is because, um, A, I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know um, there are different types of therapy. I didn't really know anything about the therapy space. And so it was a lot of trial and error. And I actually, you know, tried multiple therapists before I found the right therapist for me. And that honestly, I almost gave up many, many times during that experience. But I'm so grateful that I didn't because therapy has changed my life. It's changed um 
you know, I didn't even realize what I didn't know before going to therapy and a lot of like the, having a space, first of all, just to talk about your feelings, what you go through, your emotions. That was really beneficial for me because I'd never had that before. Um, I never really had a space to be able to just process things that were going on in my life, um, questions, challenges. It all kind of just ruminated inside my head. And so for me, that was actually really, really beneficial just to have someone to listen. And actually, it was a very surprising to me. I learned a lot about like things that go on in my head actually are very different from how you see the world or how my therapist sees the world. And I was like, wait, that's not how everyone would react to the situation. Like even that for me was a huge learning. And so the other thing therapy did was it really gave me tools and resources to think about the world a different way, manage my emotions a different way, interact with other people in different ways. And it's just seeing the positive change that's happened in my life. Um, now I'm the biggest proponent of therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy and we should have our kids be going to therapy and we should have our parents be going to therapy because it's really, it is the one thing that you can do for yourself that can change you and everyone around you. And I think that is the most amazing opportunity you have in your life. See, now that wasn't too hard to start with, right? Hey, you know what? This is going to be a great podcast. This is going to be a great conversation. I can already feel it. (laughs) We jump right into the deep end of the pool. Thank you for that. I I really appreciate you opening. And that makes sense. This is a great starting point because uh, disclaimer and a preface to what I'm about to ask. Uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I did therapy for seven years from 25 to 32. When I was 25 years old, I was really in just screwed up and I knew I was screwed up. So I took this seven year journey and I went through it. Um, But I look back today and I'm like, okay, at the time I just was quiet and silent about my, my, my mental traumas or whatever. But today everybody's talking about their, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just remember I did seven years of this. Yeah. But how do we know as a culture that we are not, turning into a bunch of crybabies and everybody which way we turn has to go look for mental help. Tell me and walk me through the difference of sort of probably the time period that you went through to today. Uh, is it different or have we always needed this and we just didn't know? Mm. I think it's a good question. I don't think anyone has the right answer for this. Right. And, you know, if you ask different generations, you ask, you know, generation above us and the boomers and those older, they made it like we just kept our mouth, a tough upper lip, and we yeah. lived life. And look at us now, right? Um, and I think you, you know, there's no right answer. And for me, I think I'm really grateful. There's more awareness about mental health now than there was before, um, just because I think so many people were suffering in silence. I think you know, mental health is the number one or two leading cause of death for men under the age of forty, right? So it's always been a problem. It's just whether we talked about the problem or not. And you look at like veterans who are some of the toughest and who've seen the worst things. The suicide rate among veterans is so high, right? Addiction rates, suicide rates. So I would rather be a society where we all think we're crybabies than a society where we're killing ourselves. So for me, I think that um, the change has been a really good one. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you know, sometimes you think about like, you know, grit is really important. As a founder, I think about grit and the need to have grit is really important. But I really didn't understand, like, what does that even mean? And so I thought, you know, the tougher you are on yourself, the more grit you have, right? The more 
So when the world beats you up, the more someone screams at you, the more you can kind of tough it out. That is grit. Yet all the studies show that that actually only gets you to some point and then it inevitably you crumble. And I have amazing friends of mine that went to all the top schools and had all the top jobs and hit a wall. Every single person I know has hit a wall. And so I think that kind of story only goes so far. And actually what the research shows is if you're more compassionate to yourself, if you're actually kinder to yourself, if you're showing more love to yourself and those around you, what actually happens is we think it makes you soft, but what it actually does is it makes you try more things you wouldn't try otherwise. And so for me, I think one of the challenges growing up the way I did, like always succeeding, always getting A's, was a real fear of failure. And that fear of failure is something I process a lot in therapy because I was like, wow, I'm actually afraid to put myself out there. I'm afraid to try on certain things because of a fear of failure. And so I think if you're more aware of who you are, your emotions, you're able to work better with one another, I think the you know grit is still there, but it's a different flavor of grit. It's not a struggling grit. It's a more relaxed, you know, excited grit. It's not like I got to do this or else no one will love me or I've got to do this or else I'm worthless. It's a, oh, isn't this fun? Like, wow, I want to start a company. Let's just try it. What's the worst going to happen? And I think that is a level of kind of like toughness that is really admirable. Now, of course, there's, you know, you know, I'm not a parent, but I look at how, how thoughtful my parent, my friends are in raising kids and how my mom was really hard in raising and in, in trying to raise me the best she could. And so I think we're always afraid of, there's a balance. So I think you still want your kids to struggle. I think you still want your kids to try and challenge themselves, but you want to do it in a way where it's safe that they won't lose your love if, if they don't do well, right? Or you won't lose your own love if you don't do well. And so I think that there's, a, there's definitely a balance. What you just said and how you answered reminds me of perhaps, you know, when we are experiencing a journey like being a founder, all of the tough stuff that appears, it's almost like having a Sherpa come up the mountain with us that they can, a therapist can really say your oxygen levels are right here. Maybe you have to look at it this way, you know, uh, the campsite that we need to hit, you know, before nightfall is here. And all of these things are not crybaby solutions, but rather having a Sherpa go up a mountain with us during, you know, like being a founder is a very tough thing. And we'll get into that too, because I think the intersection of being a founder and the tough, uh, the, the, the sort of like the not knowing part of, of being a founder, it, it can really bear down heavily on, on your mental situation. Oh, I have a lot to say about my mental health as a founder. I, I think, um, but I think it's what your analogies are a really great one because um, a few years ago, actually, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And I was not a strong hiker. I, I love the outdoors now, but at the time I bought my first pair of hiking boots the week before I went to Tanzania. And it was, I don't, I think maybe naivete is, that's actually a great analogy to being a founder. You got to kind of not know what you're going to get because you just might not do it. Um, but the big slogan when you're climbing Kilimanjaro actually is pole pole, which means slowly, slowly. Wow. And we had amazing porters that were with us. And you see marathon runners, you see Ironman people that flame out. And the reason why is because, you know, you need to have someone there, especially if you've never done it before, to say, hey, take it slow. Or let's actually rest for a day so we can acclimate to the um, altitude. Or, hey, you know, like, I'll carry this when you need it. I would not have summited Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, 
if it weren't for the Sherpas and the porters that were there with us. And it really was leaning on their wisdom to be able to know when to go and when to push. And again, sometimes they'd be like, hey, you're tired, but let's keep going. Let's just go slowly. So they weren't like, oh, immediately, as soon as you are struggling, oh, let's quit. Let's go down the mountain. We don't need to do this anymore, right? It's not, that's what people think kind of therapy is, but it really was through their collective wisdom of talking to, you know, hundreds and helping people up the mountain when you should push and when you shouldn't push and them getting to know you and your individual boundaries and where you can push and where you can't push. And I think that kind of journey and that relationship is very akin to how I work with my therapist. Um, And I mean, she is the most, I mean, she's someone that I trust implicitly. And I think she knows me really better than almost anyone else because of how we, how much I've shared about my life and how she's able to gauge me. And she, she works with me very, very differently then she may work with the client right after me. Um, and so it really is a very personalized experience. I don't know how to say this without sounding like an absolutist, but, or somebody who looks down on other cultures and or looks up to other cultures or compares, but I just can't help but to say this and to think about this, that cultures that let in the idea of therapy is a little bit more advanced than cultures that closed or that are closed off to it. And here's what I mean by that. This idea of self-awareness. Let's just take a country like Vietnam. Fuck it. Let's just go there. <laughs> God damn it. We are so damn closed off to like being self-aware of our shit sometimes, you know, and being from a family of, you know, obviously Vietnamese people, I can say that. And then being close, I won't name other advanced cultures, but I know other advanced cultures that really stick to their regiment of having a therapist in their families. And they do it for their marital issues. They do it for their business. They do it for coaching. How much of that do you agree with me? And I don't mean like, I don't, I, again, I'm not, we're not in the spirit of trying to put other cultures down, but it really does bother me when I think about like the entirety, you know, of this sort of, um, this therapy culture uh, in my family, the entirety of, of them just looking down on it. I remember it just like such a dirty feeling when they heard that I did therapy, like just something wrong with you crazy. But that's my, that's after 47 years being on this earth. I, I just think about that. I'm like, every time I see like these cultures that really, you know, embrace therapy, uh, they're just, you know, they just got a little bit more self-awareness. Yeah, you know, it's a, that's a great point. And I don't know, I, I would even say even more broadly, I think um, it's not just about therapy, but it's also about connection with one another and openness to communities. And I think that in so much, in, in some ways, the Western world has gotten, you know, America's created a problem of individuality and created a problem where we feel more alone than we've ever felt in our life. So there is definitely an epidemic of loneliness that didn't exist when we were in farming communities or when we were in villages with one another. But, you know, when I was 18, I moved away to college. I, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and I did, was very far from my family and community. And so you think about sort of the way that a lot of us live our lives. It's very individualistic. So I, I don't want to, like, idealize one culture and, and put down another. But I will agree with you that the Vietnamese culture is really, even though we're we're a community-oriented culture, there's a lot of kind of shame and a lot of like closeness that we feel like, what if this other person finds out this is about you? Like, how would they judge you? Or how would other people judge you? And I think that 
really prevents us from seeking help when we need help. And I think the, the reason we as humans live in communities is to help one another, right? Like we wouldn't survive on the you know Savannah or at caveman times if we didn't have one another. Like you need, when you're going to sleep, you need someone to stay awake to make sure you don't die. That's not being weak. That's just smart survival skills, right? And I think that we've gotten this world where it's like, now we don't want anyone's help. And especially, and I think one of the reasons why, I mean, again, I'm not a therapist, but for me, I think going through this trauma of the war that a lot of um, Vietnamese Americans went through, it's a really traumatic experience. And I think, you know, what it shows, whether it's the Holocaust or whether it's war, when you go through these experiences, you become more rigid, more closed off, have a lot of black and white thinking, you're more afraid. That's just what you do to protect yourself, right? Um, and I think that it's helped us survive but again, it doesn't help us thrive and live healthy lives and build relationships. And I know a lot of families that are kind of resentful or kids that don't you know, have good relationship with their parents because of this very strong, rigid black and white thinking where it's like, I can never go to my parents for help or I couldn't go for them when I'm having a bad day, right? I, I think that's a, that's a very lonely way to live life. And it's actually as lonely as the American way of, of living life and being individualistic. So I think that therapy or going at least seeking the connection and, and being a self-aware of what you need and being okay saying I need something. I think that's in a very self-evolved way of thinking because it's something that inherently is self, it preserves you. It actually allows you to succeed more because you're getting help from people around you in a way that if you're just closed off or you're just like living your life and never looking, thinking about how you can improve. I think that's, that's a very short-sighted way of living. Thank you for expanding my cross-cultural comparisons here because, you know, that that's a really great answer. And I um, I try not to get too married to my beliefs. And I ask that question with this like real feeling that the self-awareness thing is very low, uh, you know, from our community, you know, um, and I want to change that. I want to be able to to hear thought leaders like you in this space talk about the realities of it. And you just did. You really just opened up and be like, well you know, there's another way of looking at it. But, but I will, I'll tell you, I agree with you that, you know, I believe in growth mindset, you know, and I believe that, you know, I wouldn't have started a company to help people with therapy if I didn't believe you could change your life and change the world. Right. And I think that, you know, I, I look even at my mom and I think how much he's changed and grown. I look at my family. I believe all of us have the power to change and grow. And so it does require the desire and it requires self-awareness. And I think that, you know, I have a lot of examples in my life of people that are much older than me who at the end of their life feel regret and want to make changes in their life and it's too late. So I think that if we can get that self-awareness earlier, especially as people, and I agree with you, Vietnamese people um, as a culture, I, I would love for us to be more self-aware and be more open to change. I think that really has the power to to um, improve our community. And, and I think there's, it's possible because Vietnamese people came to a country where they knew didn't know the language weren't educated, started their lives and have thrived in this country. So anything is possible. Like that is a definition of change. If we can change our our location and we can change other things, you know, we, we should be able to change what's, in, what's, what's within us if we want to. In the last five years, there's a proliferation of a lot of companies that do online therapy. What made you decide that this moment is the right moment for you? And why why start something that it's, you know, it's a, it's a space that has a lot of players, but 
it just seems like there's a lot of uh, finance and, and muscle that you need to get into that space. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I started Reflect over five years ago, everyone was like, why are you talking about mental health? This is such a niche, weird topic. Like, you know, and I was coming from um, consulting and from the fashion world. So it was seen as much sexier. Um, but for me, I, I knew I knew in my heart that this was something that was broken and needed to be fixed. And I'm really glad there are more companies that are out there that are um, helping solve this problem. I think it's a massive problem that needs to be solved from lots of different angles. You know, and I, I think for us, what we do at Reflect is we're a platform that makes quality mental health more accessible. And we do that by matching you to the right therapist using an AI-driven matching algorithm. And I think for me, you know, it solves what I think is a really under-solved um, problem. There are places to go find a therapist now, but you have no idea whether the therapist is good or not. And you have no idea whether the therapist is the right fit for you, which is really the problem that I had, right? It wasn't just finding a therapist. Who is finding the right therapist for me. And I think, you know, what I realize and what all the research shows is the best predictor of success in therapy is what's called therapeutic alliance or the fit between you and your therapist. And if you're after to trust your therapist and it's not going to be a fit, then you're never going to open up and you can never build that relationship where you actually feel the trust. All right. If I didn't trust my porter or my mm-hmm. Sherpa when I was going up the mountain, I wouldn't have listened to them or, and I would have probably flamed out. And so I think that that trust is really important. And so what we do at Reflect is we really help predict what the right fit is for you. So like, you know, just like me, I didn't know anything about therapy when I first started. Being able to have, you know, we are the Sherpas for folks looking for therapy, actually. We kind of are their guide to be able to help them understand what they might need uh, in therapy and who the right therapist is for them. And I think that's really what's been different about Reflect. And has made us really successful. We're now, you know, the largest non-insurance network of therapists in California, and we've done over a hundred thousand therapy sessions to date. And I'm really proud of that because each of those is a relationship and a life that we've changed thanks to the work that we do. If I wipe my brain from all the therapy, because I did seven years officially, and then I had a series of like marital counselors and all kinds of different programs in between or after my seven years. If I wipe my brain completely clean of all the experience that I've ever had with therapists and I had to go back and like quantify or qualify, how, what would you say is the wrong therapist or what would you say is the right therapist? Like, how do I know after a few sessions, if I'm seeing the right person or the wrong person? That is a great question. And I think that it's, there's no one right answer for everybody. So I think it really matters. Um, more about what you needed as an individual. And so not knowing a lot about you, I would say, you know, the things that matter the most is to be able to have a style and a background that meets your background. So at Reflect, we'll ask some questions about like basic demographic things. Do you, would you feel more comfortable talking to a man or a woman? Are you more comfortable talking to someone maybe um, who's Asian, Vietnamese, speaks Vietnamese, not and so those are the kind of the top level things that that are helpful. But we go, I think the next piece is actually what really matters, which is what kind of style is right for you. So for me, you know, the first therapist I had, great therapist, horrible therapist for me, because um, I would talk and talk and talk and he would say nothing for two or three sessions. Mm-hmm. And I would sort of ask a question and he would say, why does it matter if I, you know, um, am 
this or that. And I think I, I would ask very basic questions and he would always ask a question back and I never could build trust for him. And what I realized now having started to reflect is that his style, which was called Lacanian, which I had no idea what that was, wow. was one that was very much about, you know, not challenging, leaving space, just holding space. And what I needed was someone who was more challenging, someone who could kind of like be a thought partner, who could kind of go back and forth with me and kind of, if I'm going in one direction, actually challenge that and really examine that and then give me tools and resources to change that thinking. And um, I ended up going with a therapist who does what's called dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. And that's all about mindfulness plus tools and resources. And, it, and she was Asian American. Um, she was a lawyer that went to Penn Law before she was a therapist. And so fit wise was the perfect fit for me from an education and a background perspective. But then her toolkit that she was using, like how we interacted in the room was like after one or two sessions, I was like, she's got it. Right. I never was wondering, like, what's even happening here? Because wow. I was feeling that change. She was helping me see things differently. She was challenging, you know, and that chemistry was there. It's kind of like, how do you know you have a good friend versus someone who's like kind of not a good friend? It, it, maybe a good friend for you is a very different than a good friend for me, kind of. So it, it's all about finding the right fit. And I think that's what happens in the room and the, how a therapist wants to interact and what they use as their toolkit is a really important factor in um, finding that fit. This is giving me so many more questions and I have to like find a way to ask <laughs> Because, okay, there's like three <laughs> things here that it's just expanding my my question set here. So the first thing is like, how many damn categories like Laconian uh, or DB <laughs> are there on the back end of your AI that you have to figure out, right? That's the first question. The second thing I'm wondering is like, as a podcast host, somebody who's asking questions, I'm like, are there styles to this now to make it sort of, because I always think of it as this is not a one size fit all profession. Like uh, I can't go into everybody and pull off the same, but I'm managing after almost 300 episodes to kind of find my rhythm and pacing. But I wonder if I kind of can categorize who I'm sitting in front of, maybe I can switch positions and, you know, go according to who the guests were. This is so interesting yet terrifying to me. <laughs> I think you're. I think the answer is you're doing a great job, no matter what, Kenneth. I think you're doing a great job. Your listeners love you, so I think whatever's happening is working, right? Um, there are hundreds, actually, uh, types of therapy, hundreds wow. of different modalities and orientation, and I think they fall within a few big categories. So you know, it's a like DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, is a behavioral therapy. So it kind of thinks about your thoughts, your worldviews, and your actions being inter connected. And if you change one, you can influence the other. And there are other types of therapy that are like cousins, like cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, that's a, a cousin to DBT. So it's almost, I mean, just like there are different tons of tons of different science specialties, there are tons of different specialties um, and different orientations for therapy. And I think the good news is, you know, it's not as rigid. So, you know, therapists, some therapists are purists, they do just DBT, but some may pull in other different types of um, tools as well. So while it's really important and we factor those in, it's not so much that you can you know, get lost. You must find someone that does X, right? Because you could find someone that does X, but be still a horrible fit for you. Um, so I think it's the good news is we use over 50 different factors in matching a client to a therapist. 
And that's why it's more accurate than if someone tried to process and do this all themselves, because like for some people, actually race may not matter at all. And for other people, race may matter more than style. Right. And for some people, actually having someone older than you and being a mentor and a guide is more important. Some people just want someone who's a peer who's kind of been through it with them and who's in in the trenches with them. So I think all of those things make it really sometimes hard to find the right therapist. But, um, you know, there's no silver bullet and definitely orientation is not the silver bullet. But it's like, you know, I think what you do really well is you tailor your questions to both the interviewer, you know, your podcast guest. But your listeners and you know there are other podcasts that are much more aggressive and they're like you know all about you know screaming and talking and others that are much more you know quiet and thoughtful and i think that that chemistry between you and your guests and your listeners is what makes this podcast special and why the listeners who choose this podcast end up wanting you know wanting to listen to you over somebody else and i think similarly with therapy it's just finding the right fit for you this is almost like the eHarmony game to me, right? It's uh, we've had we've had folks say that we are like the eHarmony for therapy. Yeah. Wow. And it makes me think about uh, all the therapists or all of the other things that I've looked for in my life. I mean, if you think about Yelp and you want to go on and find a handyman or or a therapist, you can't just do that anymore. There's like levels to this picking out the professional game, right? There's levels to this game of picking out the person you want to work with, because if we're not asking the right questions, we're not going to get tailored to what we uh, are expecting. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, when I first started to reflect someone, you know, I thought about there, there are reviews for therapists on Yelp, but the whole premise of Yelp and these idea of reviews, and we do not have reviews for our therapists that are public. Um, we do collect feedback on all our therapists and we use that as part of the matching and the algorithm. But the inherent idea of Yelp, I think the assumption of Yelp is that if I read these reviews, those customers will have similar tastes to me. So if someone says four stars or five stars, I might agree with that, right? But if I really like spicy food and all the reviewers on Yelp like bland food, they may say give something five stars and go to a, and recommend restaurants that I go to and, and really don't like. Right now, luckily with Yelp, the way that they normalize that is I think restaurant tastes are a little bit more clearly defined versus therapy is more vague. And so for us, it's not about just trusting someone else's review because that person has to be someone that you trust and you must believe that their view or their review is similar to what your experience might be like there. Right. And I think that's a I think that's hard, especially in therapy, when you don't even know what you need and you don't like, you don't know if the people that are going to therapy, maybe it's just a bad fit. It's like, we don't have reviews for dating. We don't have, we wouldn't have a Yelp for people for dating. I think that would be, you know, it'd be a very interesting yeah. experiment. But the reason we don't is because the person who dates you and is like, he's a great guy may be very different from someone who wants to date me. Right. I, I think I, I suspect that they're very different. And so, <laughs> so it's good to be, who I'm attracting is very different from who you are attracting, Kenneth. I, <laughs> it's such a funny thing to say. <laughs> you know, when uh, you started out uh, five years ago and you committed to this path, what are some of the questions that you said to yourself? Hey, I have to have, I have to have these kind of questions going into this sort of uh, mindset of this type of company. In other words, um, what were the questions that you had to ask yourself 
before you said, I'm going to make this commitment to this path? You know, it's very interesting because I did not set out to be a founder. I've always like liked solving problems. And I, when I was in consulting, I loved um, tackling tough problems for my clients. And they were often Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. Um, and I travel around the world. I worked in Africa and Europe. And so I've always liked solving problems, but I really enjoyed my life as a consultant. And I liked that lifestyle. I think for me, when I was, you know, looking at what to do, the thing about this was it wasn't it was almost by accident. I, I'm really curious how you started your podcast, but for me it was sort of like, it, you know, I'm a guy who I walk into a restaurant. I'm like, oh, I would do this differently, or I would rearrange this. You know, I'm always about like improving things. And this was an area where I felt this personal need around mental health, and I sort of was like, oh god, this is really hard. And after a few weeks, months, I would imagine mention it to a friend, and the friend would be like, oh yeah, I had a horrible time finding a therapist too. And it feels like this was like an idea that just had this gravitational pull mm. that was pulling me back to it. And I would go, oh, what about this dating app? Or what about this like networking app? And I would think about other things just casually through my day. And it would just keep coming back to something about the mental health space. And so it would be months and I would be thinking about other things. And I kept coming back to this idea. And I, I wouldn't be kind of revisiting other ideas as much as this one. And so I was like, you know, I really just want to learn more about this. And to your point around kind of being self-aware, I, I was aware that I didn't know a lot about therapy mm. and I wasn't a therapist. And so I seek to just learn about the space. And I probably, I ended up doing, um, I had probably over a hundred coffee chats with therapists and with people had, who had tried therapy just to learn about their experience. Like, how was it? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? What do you like? What didn't you like? And I think through that experience, I started to come up with, almost accidentally, this idea of how I could do it better. And then I was like, you know, I really do believe this has some legs here and it could make the world a better place. And so then it was just about, well, let me just try and see. Let me just, you know, I think this is what I would use to match. I think this is how I could get therapists on the platform. You know, those first 30, 40 therapists that we that I interviewed ended up being the first 30 therapists on my platform. And a lot of them are still on the platform right now and are still really success, successful with Reflect years later. And it was really like, could I get them, could I match them with a client? And our first client who I matched to a therapist chose a therapist with Reflect and she stayed in therapy for years with Reflect. And for me, that was really a great sign that, hey, I'm onto something here. And so I think that each time, each step along the way, it was just sort of like curiosity and um, getting positive feedback that what I was thinking about was actually working that kept me going. There are levels to everything, like I always say. And there are levels to the way therapists get paid here in LA. There's some therapists that get paid $500 an hour. And then there's therapists that would do it for $40 an hour. There is this huge price range uh, within the physical going to a therapist's office space, right? Mm -hmm. How can I, I look at that sort of price discrepancy within the model of quality versus pricing? Because I hate to say it, but sometimes a $200 therapist is very different from a $40 therapist, right? Because that's sort of like my experience. And I've heard all of my friends say it too. There's 350, you know, and some of these uh, therapists come with like these heavy MBA backgrounds that can 
guide you through organizational management in a business so they're worth 350 an hour how does this price discrepancy work in the model of the eHarmony side of what you do you know it's I love that you asked this question because at the beginning when I was looking for a therapist I was so confused by the different prices right and and I was like is this therapist really you know this hundred dollar therapist versus this hundred fifty dollar therapist is the 150 therapist really 50 percent better than the hundred dollar therapist mm -hmm. I, you know like am I gonna get better faster is it just the is each interaction be better I didn't I didn't I didn't understand and actually I will let you in a little see um that price and even years of experience have no correlation to the quality of the therapy itself and i'd imagine that but at the same time my question be, my second question mm -hmm. is why would a therapist do x amount and be constant at this price level with an online thing and not go out and do a bigger number you know a bigger price in the real world yeah. So actually what we did at Reflect is we went out and we said, we're going to screen every therapist to make sure they're quality. And we're going to actually pre-negotiate a rate with our therapists. So our sessions start at $145 a session. And so much more affordable than $300 plus that you're seeing for some therapists. And actually we can look at the data and say how good every therapist is. And we're going to match you only with the, with good therapists. And we look at basically what's called conversion, which is our their likelihood to actually if they talk to you, have a client choose them as a therapist and how well they're doing over time, we collect feedback from all of our clients on how the therapist is doing. So we don't think price is a signal of quality. We think we can find other things, actual real outcomes, actually how clients feel about the therapist that should be a signal of outcome that we can use to measure quality, right? And so I think that's the way that, you know, when you go to Reflect to get matched, you're not just getting matched with the right therapist, but you're also getting matched with a good therapist. And that actually, that, I think is a really important thing because there are platforms out there that you can, that yeah. you can pay 45 bucks a month, you know, 99 bucks a month, text your therapist. You're not going to have the same experience. And I think what does matter, you know, we looked at a price that was enough for therapists. If they had a full case on a reflect to do very well and, and, and not be like looking and doing other things, but you'd also want your therapist not to be burning out. And sometimes therapists who charge a, a low amount, they'll do that for select clients because they really feel like they want to make therapy accessible to people that are in need, you know, so it's called sliding scale, which I think is really great. But then there are other therapists who, if you have to take insurance or if you're charging a very low rate for all of your clients, you're gonna have to see a lot more clients to make ends meet. And the problem with seeing a lot more clients is, as you know, if, if you're having, you know, 10 meetings in a day, you might forget what you talked about with each of those people. Yeah. And that's just, your brain can only hold so much. And so I think, we wanted to balance and make sure there was a price that made therapists comfortable and successful on the platform, but also where they could still give quality therapy to each person that they were bringing on from Reflect. 145, you said, right? Mm -hmm. So I understand now. I kind of am judging that at 145, this is not a $40 program, you know? Mm -mm, to, to no. Now we're talking, this is, I didn't realize that. I, I you know, I, I didn't put one and one together, but when you throw out a number like that, it automatically sticks in, you know, somebody who's gone through therapy a few times like me, Oh, I understand what 145 means, right? It there's, it's like that it's a substantial number, but it won't break the bank. Like at 300 for an entertainment therapist here in LA, but at 145, you are probably getting, um, a really good therapist. That's just sort of my experience. 
it, exactly. And I think that's, you never wanted to sacrifice quality, right, in order to get match you. Because we know that if we match you to some random person, and we have actually people who've tried other platforms that are like, I had a horrible experience and I I'm, I had a, I want to try Reflect. So for us, not sacrificing on quality was really important. Um, but I think that, you know, even for 145, it is a lot for some people. And so we do things like we have a membership program that helps reduce costs. We help um, clients file for out-of-network reimbursement. And we use technology to help facilitate that so that you get some money back from your insurance companies if you have a PPO. So we really work hard to try to find ways to make therapy more accessible. So even the 145, we're saying, let's make sure we let's make sure we attract quality therapists and let's do work on the back end, the administrator side of the world to help make it even more affordable. Because again, the one thing you cannot sacrifice in therapy is your qual- is quality. Because, you know, I've wasted six months with a therapist that was a bad fit for me. And those six months I can't get back. Right. And I think time is so valuable in our lives. And um, so for us, we don't want to sacrifice quality. And there's a danger to finding a bad therapist, too, that they can lead you down a terrible uh, a taste, leave a terrible taste in your mouth that you don't go back. There's that danger, too. Absolutely. Kenneth. And like the number actually, this is a sad statistic. The number the most common number of therapy sessions per person is one. And so can you imagine, can you imagine going through this long life struggle, finally realize, you know, I'm, I'm ready for therapy. And then you look and look and look and look, finally find someone's availability. You know, you pick somebody and you have a horrible experience, right? That just makes you want to crawl back in your hole, drink or do horrible things and self-medicate and get worse. And I think that's the worst thing that we can do is to discourage people who finally put themselves out there to want help and have a really bad experience. And so I think that's what we, we're really thoughtful about making sure that we match clients to the right therapist. We have a very strong you know, 90% plus success rate. But if for some reason, what you need is different from what you thought or different from what we can give you, we also wanna be there and say, hey, try for free again. We'll rematch you to a better therapist or someone that's a better fit for you. And so I think that that is, it's heartbreaking because I've had so many friends who are like, I hate therapy. Therapy is horrible. I had this one guy, I went to one session and he was horrible. Right. But you know, I've had horrible, bad haircuts. I don't stop getting my haircut. Don't go right? on bad dates. Yeah. You don't yeah, go on bad dates. dates. Exactly. Um, and I think that's really, and it's because we're sort of like used to, okay, that, that bad date or that bad haircut is the exception to the rule versus for therapists. We say, you know, one bad experience and you extrapolate every therapist being bad. I am not in the business of asking people about their special sauce, uh, but I do want to ask if you can dance around it or if you can kind of illuminate this question somehow. I am curious of how do you, what are the criteria for being a therapist for Reflect? That's a good question. And I think that, you know, for, for, I can't give you all the criteria. And I think we look at, again, over 50 different factors when we're screening. And we have a witness of therapists that want to join our platform, by the way. So we don't necessarily even let everyone who wants to be a therapist reflect, be a therapist with reflect. But I think what's really important um, is they have to, there are minimum state level certifications and requirements, right? So um, we, we meet those. So you have to have a certain number of um, degrees, certain number of hours of of training to become a therapist, and you know, so that all is kind of state mandated, and we we at minimum meet that. 
But what's really important is we interview and talk to every single one of our therapists on our platform. And most platforms don't do that because they're just about just bringing therapists on, bringing therapists on. And I think, you know, for us, the screening criteria, we look at a bunch of different factors and really thinking about what's, how is that therapist going to, will they do well? Because at the end of the day, we want to make sure the therapists we bring on, we're setting up for success as well, right? Because they're, their time is valuable. If we're not working for them, we want to know that. And I think um, it's about making sure, you know, if someone, we don't have any kind of prescription around orientation or style. So, you know, that Lacanian therapist may be good for somebody on Reflect, not maybe me, but maybe good for somebody else. So we're not saying you can't be on Reflect, but we want to make sure that we're matching um, you to the right therapist, right clients for you. I think one thing actually that I, I, I was surprised about is, there's a lot around just the, the kind of normal, how do you do therapy, showing up for appointments, making sure that you're there. A lot of that, I was surprised that there's some therapists who will no show at appointments or will miss those things. So we screen for those things as well, because we want to make sure it's a good experience, both for clients and both for therapists. And, you know, we've all had horror stories yeah. of meeting a therapist who like, you know, you, they don't show up or you have scheduling issues or those things. And so we really think that we could find great therapists and you don't actually have to be good at business. Most therapists are horrible at business, but if they work with reflect, we actually have scheduling software for them. We have reminders for them. We have, um, kind of billing software for them to make their jobs easier so that they can be successful on our platform. And so it's a, it's all about creating a good experience and a high quality experience for our clients. Any chance that you will be taking this knowledge, the structure, this information back to Vietnam one day? It's very funny because we've actually had outreach. One of our investors actually is in Vietnam. And um, he, he was saying how important therapy is. And luckily, there are actually some regulate, there, you know, international rules are open. So never say never. But we've already had outreach from folks in Vietnam. They're saying, hey, I need a therapist. And there's no good platform in Vietnam. So... Um, I think it's very, it's, it's not in the near future, but it's very, very possible. Um, and we're really proud that we have Vietnamese speakers on the platform as well. And, um, we talked to a lot of, a lot of Vietnamese folks, um, to find the right therapist. I wonder what the accreditation looks like in Vietnam, right? Because it seems like a relatively new practice and that it's not widespread in terms of college kids taking psychology courses a lot or understanding that this might be a profession that is going to be helpful to the country at some point and to the people. Um, it's almost like a civic duty to talk about mental health to me. That's just like part of our part of our conversation that needs to happen uh, more. I, I want to do more of this kind of conversation uh, on the podcast. But when I think about your reach potentially in the future, I think about Vietnam and I think about, you know, how do you do this? Yeah, it's, you know, and I've done, I, I can't speak because I've not done a lot of research about Vietnam itself. But for what I understand, there are much fewer regulations and they, the therapy industry is not as um, robust as it is in America. And I think California, we're very lucky that we're, we have some of the most therapists per capita in, in, in many states. So in, in some ways, I think we're, we're fortunate that's not the case in a lot of other countries, especially Vietnam. And I think that, you know, you think about, we all have struggles and we all have things we need to deal with, especially once, we, you know, we've gone through a war or gone through all 
this this really tough path. And so I think there is a real opportunity to help everybody process what they've gone through so that we don't, I think, pass it along to our children. And, you know, this month, May, is um, Mental Health Awareness Month, but it's also Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I think I've been I've been talking a lot about transgenerational trauma and this idea that, you know, if we don't work on ourselves, we're going to inevitably pass it on to our children. And I think that that's true for Vietnamese Americans, and it's very true for Vietnamese um, folks in Vietnam, too. We went through a really horrible, horrible time in history, and I don't think any of us have really processed that to the fullest degree that we could. I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm, yeah. What's next for Reflect? What's next for your journey uh, at the platform? You know, I think now that you've put it, put in my head, maybe Vietnam is next for us. You know, you, you, you know, I think that I think the great news and the sad news is that there's a need everywhere. And you mentioned there's tons of platforms out there. I think, you know, what we do is very unique. And I think this what we how we support both clients and therapists is very unique as well. And so we're continuing to expand. Um, we have a wait list in so many markets and so many states. And so um, it's about continuing to grow and continue to be able to help more people find the right therapist. Because I think, you know, our mission is to make quality mental health more accessible. And I think there are a lot of people that still need therapy in the world. Well, I do hope you expand on that mission because we do need it. There's 98 million people in Vietnam that, uh, you know, it's, there's new things that are happening, new industrial development, new ways of living that are in conflict with the culture of the past. That needs to have, reconciliation and i don't mean like you know war and that kind of reconciliation it, we just as human beings we're constantly needing to reconcile with the modern moves of the newer generation parents and teachers or whatever have to bosses and workers right they all have to deal with like new modes of living as a result of technology and industry you, you know it's so funny kenneth that you say this because i just think about the amount of change that we've seen in our lifetime and, yeah. you know, I was watching something recently on, on um, YouTube and it was showing scenes from Cheers, that 80s movie, and someone who looked like they were, and you know, and I, you look at the characters and you're like, oh, they must be in their like 40s and 50s. And they were like 23 and 29. And you just see how much even just our own, you know, how we look has changed so much in the last 30, 40 years, let alone technology and, you know, now AI. And I think humans we're not used to this fast change. Yeah. I think our brains can only handle so much change. And I think even for me, and again, I'm, you know, in my early forties as well. So similar age as you, I remember when we didn't have internet and we didn't have computers. And now all of a sudden we're talking about AI and, you know, robots and Alexas and all these things. And I think that like the, what is going to happen in the next even 10 years or 20 years is going to be a massive change. And it's really hard for us to be able to adapt to that change. And I think, you know, therapy is really helping you think about yourself, process and adapt to change. And I think that the more that we can build those tools, the faster we can adapt, the more that we can be nimble um, to whatever comes our way. Well, I hope in the next few years, uh, if you have any developments, you would let me know, reach out. And I, you know, I welcome this conversation. It's a very lovely conversation. It's a warm conversation with somebody who's so knowledgeable. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me today. Well, thank you, Canada. That sounds like we're going to go to Vietnam together, apparently. Maybe yeah. that's going to be happening sooner than that. Anytime. I mean, that, that's a conversation that needs to happen. And I 
think that um, somehow you should put it as a priority because uh, I think there's, I mean, I hate to say it, but that there's a lot of people that need help um, in our, in our, and it's just because there's so much changes. That's all. I'm not, there's no, yeah. uh, I'm not making a remark on, on society or anything. I'm just saying there's so much change right now that it could, um, it could be very beneficial for everybody uh, that you're starting an operation in Vietnam. Yeah, I, I agree. And I I think we'll first start definitely with Vietnamese Americans. And there are a lot in California and America that can still benefit from therapy. But I think it, I, I really appreciate the, um, the, the chance to speak about this, because I think for our community as well, there's so much historic stigma around therapy. And I hope that, you know, by hearing your story, I'm really glad you shared about your experience in therapy and hearing my story and realizing that, you know, successful people can also go to therapy and it's not mutually exclusive that more people will be willing to do it. Cause I think we were all, we, again, as you said, um, we all could benefit from it. This is how big I am a, a champion of therapy. Um, my mother says to me all the time, I wish you would have become a therapist. She always says that to me and wow. I'm a big proponent of therapy. Um, I, I, I really, uh, think that it's a necessary thing in, in human beings. It is. And I love that. Um, I love, I love, love, love that you, um, that your mom said that. Cause I think that's, that's really, really amazing. And I think that, you know, the more that folks can, can embrace that and talk about that. I think we need more Vietnamese podcast. We need more Vietnamese podcasters. We need more Vietnamese therapists as well, because I think that, you know, being able to trust the person on the other side is really important. And I think part of when I built reflect, I mean, you know, 30% of our therapists are therapists of color. We have LGBT therapists. We have therapists that are older. So being able to see the person mm -hmm. across the table from you as being um, like you is really important. So we we do need more Vietnamese therapists as well. Um, and I've, but considered we need more it, I, I've considered it. If there wasn't the way, you know, because this 3,000 hours here in California, right? It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot of, but, you know, I my therapist, uh, when I had first gotten into it, she was just coming out of a – she was just getting into her 3,000 hours. And I remember she was $20 at the time. This is uh, 22 years ago. She was two, 20 bucks, and I was just getting this brand-new person. But she was mm -hmm. in her 40s. And she was a successful businesswoman. And so she was guiding me in business as well as like dating and all of this and worked out really well. I kept her for seven years uh, in my my life and introduced her to like 50 people. Because amazing changing me. And I always was like, oh my God, I would love to do this. And then at the end, she was like, when I kind of like drifted off 10 years after that, she was trying like 250, 300 bucks. And she's good. It's Mine was my first, my therapist that worked really well, the one that I mentioned that went to law, she was a lawyer before, wow. she was also an associate. And I think that, you know, like I said, experience doesn't correlate to to, yeah. um, to success, but I think having another career before and being able to walk in the shoes yeah. of your clients is really important. And we have a lot of second career therapists. It's um, huge. So, so yeah, yeah. consideration that I've, I've thought about before, but yeah, it's grueling to work for, I don't know, 50 bucks an hour, uh, doing that for, you know, but I whatever that money shouldn't be the, the thing, but I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's definitely a hindrance when you think about the long hours that you have to, to train for. It's a lot, it's a lot of work. And I think that's the, um, it's daunting for a lot of folks. And so, and again, it, you know, we're trying to make it easier for folks to be able to start practices once they come out so that they can, um, we can, we can make that journey easier and get more good therapists out here.
Jonathan, thank you so much once again. Thank you very much. And um, Kenneth, I would love to, um, if possible, I think, you know, for your listeners who are looking to try therapy, um, I'd love to do a little, you know, open that up and welcome them to try Reflect if they want to, because yeah, I think that, like you find, said. Where can we find uh, Reflect? Yeah, so you can go online to www.joinreflect.com. So Reflect is spelled R-E-F-L-E-C-T dot com. And I'll share the URL with you so you can share with your listeners. Um, And we'll give a little promo code for folks who want to try it out as well. Wonderful. Thank you once again, Jonathan. Beautiful. Thanks so much for having having me. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh! There it is. Drawing board or Miro. All our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.